I'm Leotis Johnson. And I'm Brianka Wright, and you're listening to Higher Unlearning. The podcast where we reflect and analyze different concepts and structures that affect Blackness. Today's quote comes from Frederick Douglass, and it says, It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. What does that mean to you? That's... It's a loaded <laughs> quote, definitely. Yeah, like the quote itself is very... I don't know. I feel like it embodies the word that we do. It embodies my ideologies when I think of just kids and also thinking of like when you get to college, you meet all these young men who are kind of living like this. College is like their first step out into the world after learning so much from the world as a child. So now you're entering adulthood and everybody knows there's so much that happens in college age and college years. Um, And then to think of older men and like different ideologies or things that they have and you know how they say you can't can't teach an old dog new tricks right so it's just like it's kind of for me it's kind of on both sides like yes invest in your kids da 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 love them put in your energy into them but what do you do with the broken men do we just let them be out in the world broken mm-hmm. yeah i think about like a foundation and how when you instill different values and morals into children, they carry that for the rest of their lives. But trying to, like you said, teach mm-hmm. an old dog new tricks, it's really hard for them to adapt and latch on to these new ideas. And I also kind of think about how with, within the work that we do, so many people have told us that even working with high schoolers is too late. Yeah. That, you know, they already have the brain of the adult. They already have learned everything that they're going to learn before they enter adulthood. So you're really reaching them too late. And it's like, no, like, they're still babies. They're still children. And it, it goes against what, like, with both of us majoring in psychology, it goes mm-hmm. against the whole adolescence growth where it's like, oh, your brain doesn't develop until right. you're age 25. <laughs> but all these kids at high school now, no, y'all are too old. Right. We can't do nothing for y'all because I, y'all too seeped in. And it's sad because in a lot of times the work that we do, we come around these kids who... People are already written them off as too old right. or it's too late. You know, they're they're in in it too deep. Mm-hmm. And it's like they let that child struggle when it's it's just a simple investment. It's yeah. a it's planting a seed. Someone to kind of care, kind of do something that can really change that kid's life around, change mm-hmm. not even the whole life. It could change a moment. And it's just like one of my students when I worked in the middle school, I worked with eighth grade boys. So all my kids were about, you know, 13, 14. One student was 16 in the eighth grade. So I'm trying to figure out, like, how did this happen? How He ended up staying back in the third grade and then staying back again in the eighth grade. So this is the second time doing eighth grade. Okay. And when I met him, he was already convinced and defeated that there's certain things that he just could not do. Mm. The same kind of struggling with his reading and comprehension and writing that he was struggling with in the third grade. He's already convinced that, like, no. Nah. He literally told me I can't do that. Yes, that's the reason me. I. That's the reason I failed back, failed yeah. in the third grade. And it it was sad because no one will like work with this kid. They've already kind of wrote him off as that kid. You know, oh, that's just him. Yeah, we already know what's that's going to happen. And the more I got to know him, and the more I got to like really start to invest in him and like push him, the hardest part was to kind of instill that confidence back into him that. Even if it's not easy, and even if you don't have it right now, you can. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, he had that confidence of, okay, I could do something. But it's just hard. I mean, it's sad mostly because y'all let this young man get this far in life. And his mom was working on her second, third degree. She works at a university. So the energy you have for your education and your like your life, you ain't transferred that over to your son because you let him drown. Mm. Yeah, I have a a similar situation with one of my students. Um, I worked with mostly freshmen and sophomores, um, but this one student in particular, he was 17 in the 10th grade, and he had just transferred to the school I was working in. And I remember the first day of class, he was he was quiet, but he spoke when when it was necessary. And when he did speak, I was always tuned in to what he had to say. I don't know. He just had that, like, that charisma and that, Not like, that. Black. <laughs> <laughs> he was very captivating in, in how he spoke. And the teacher I was working with, she would pass out 
syllabus, a syllabi to the to the kids. And within it, there was a questionnaire. And one of the questions said, what grade do you think you'll get in this class? Or how do you think you do? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. And another question had something to do with, do you think you're smart? And when I was going through all of the different questionnaires, I got to his. And for those questions, he said, oh, I know I'm smart. I was like, okay, I see the confidence. Mm -hmm. And then for the other question, he said, I could get straight A's if I really tried. I was like, say less. Say less. (laughs) So I went up to him and I was like, hey, um, I saw that you wrote that you were going to get all all A's. So let's make it happen. He was like, what? And I was like, we finna make it happen. So Mm -hmm. once we get straight A's, where are we going? What are we doing? He was like, okay, we finna go to Juicy Crab. And I was like, okay, so we're going to get straight A's and we're going to go to Juicy Crab. So throughout the entire, at least that first semester, I was on him because I knew what he was capable of. Yeah. And he saw it for himself. He, ar- he already said it. Exactly. And right before the Christmas break, he went missing. Like, I didn't see him in, in the hallway. I didn't see him in class anymore. And then finally, one of the other students was like, hey, so-and-so just got arrested. I was, mm. it's, excuse me? What? So I called his mom and was like, hey, is everything okay? Just want to check and make sure you all are doing all mm-hmm. right. And she was like, oh, he's just sick. He'll be back in a few weeks. Okay. So I went the entire Christmas break, didn't hear anything. That first day back in the spring, he was back in school. And he already looked at me and I already knew like, okay, we're going to have to have a conversation. And when we were talking, he opened up to me more about like his home life and things that have been going on. He's found himself entangled <laughs> in, <laughs> in an entanglement with the wrong crowd and he he knew that he needed to do better, but his environment wasn't, it didn't that, match, yeah. right. So at that point, he started doing a downward spiral. Like he wasn't really coming to class anymore. When he was in class, he was acting up. And mind you, this is a good kid. Like he really is a good kid. He just needed people to invest in him and to be able to watch not only just other teachers, but also my partner teacher tell me, oh, you're wasting your time. Like, mm-hmm he's going to end up on somebody's shirt either because he's in jail or he's wound up dead. And it's just like, no, you can't give up on the, like if we were to say that high schoolers had the mind of an adult, what would be the purpose of having high school? Is that just send middle schoolers to college? Right. And that sounds ridiculous. And I think the, that whole basis comes from, we say this all the time and we talk about this all the time. Um, but it's like, who do you put your energy into? Like, do you put your energy into someone who got shot in the leg or do you put your energy into someone who got shot in the chest? Like, where's your impact going to hit? For us, we like, listen, baby boy got shot in the chest. He can still live. He can. He, we can he rush still, to the hospital. It's okay. Um, he just need that more extra, to, like, he just need that extra attention. And it's just like, sadly, a lot of times those, we put our energy into those kids, but because we're, we were able to work in those spaces that allowed us to be that consistent mm-hmm. and allowed us to be that present, once we were no longer in that space and that support was no longer there, that kid no longer has that respect. I mean, not, not that that same system or that right. same support, support they that they had have before. The exactly. People holding them that, to that expectation. expectation. Mm-hmm. And it went right back to... Unfortunately, it went back to this is another person who left me. This is another person. Yeah. And even though if it's not intentional or even though it's like, it's this, the business, is, it's not the business, just the space that we were in, the career it was in, the organization was working with, you know, there's time limits. And it's just like, it made it hard. And even with my kid, like I still try to call him and I still like try to check on him. You know, sometimes I get in touch with him. Sometimes I can't. Kids don't answer phones nowadays. And it's it's rough because my kid went missing for a couple of days. When he mm-hmm. came back, he told me his brother got shot. Yeah. So you're telling me a kid who's dealing with, you know, the possibility of his brother living <laughs> and supposed to come to a space where you're already told that you, you're too old to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're wasting your time. Like, is this like, then you're literally in a space of where do I go? Right. Where do I fit? Right. Like I feel like a kid because I'm in this I'm in this space with a whole bunch of other kids, but the world's not treating me like a kid, and I'm not dealing with things that kids are dealing with. Mm. Yeah, and I think it goes back to like it's focused going back to like what we do in general, and it's why we push raising royalty, and that's why like you know with SOS like we keep saying 
it was a blessing to be in those singular spaces to provide that like consistency or like that that reincurring thing. But as but raising royalty has its own magic, mm-hmm. where we could bring a space like a day, a weekend, and introduce you to people, events, thinkings, ideologies, like ideas right. that you may have never heard of or m- may never been able to encounter if it wasn't for this. And I think that's the beauty of it and the beauty of working with high schoolers. Mm-hmm. This quote, I I agree with it to a certain extent, but the work that we do completely negates the second half of it because within SOS, within Raising Royalty, yes, we build strong children, but we also work to repair broken men mm-hmm. and we work to repair strong children. Yeah, And then even just thinking about our the purpose of Raising Royalty, Our purpose is to disrupt self-defeating concepts in order to gain the authority to rebuild a positive self-image, right? And within that in itself, it's saying that you have to rebuild yourself. You have to regain your authority, meaning that at some point you have been broken. You Mm -hmm. have been, you are in need of repair, right? So with that being said, we have to identify what it means to really be broken. What does that look like? Brokenness, it's... It's different. There's there's levels to it, right? Like, you know, something could be broken if I stub my toe. You know, I could break my toe. You know, I might put a little had to put a cast on it, right. but it could eventually heal if it's given that right structure, it's given that right kind of guidance. Right. And it's even if you like fracture a bone or you fracture something, it still has the ability to be put back together. Mm-hmm. And on the opposite side, if you shatter a mirror it's almost impossible to put that mirror back to how it was. Mm. You're always going to see the cracks. You're always going to see like the little pieces of part in it. So you have to see what level are you like, am I fractured? Am I broken? Is this a little split? (laughs) Like, it's just like, where am I in this realm of brokenness? And do I know I'm broken? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm big on definition. So I, of course, (laughs) (laughs) had to look up the definition of what it means to be broken. And according to Webster, it says that being broken is having been fractured or damaged and no longer in one piece or working order. But there's a second definition that says having given up all hope and is ultimately given up despair. Right. So within your fractured and shattered analogy, what at what level are you too far gone that you can no longer be repaired where you've just given up all hope? You're no longer in working order and it's almost impossible to put the pieces together. Hope is essential. Hope is like the gorilla glue to like a broken tool or like the mechanical tape. If you literally lost your hope, it's not too far gone because hope could bring, bring, like be brought back. Right. You could be re-inspired. Right. You know, life could change. But once you get to the point where you lost your hope at that moment, that's a shattering. Mm. Like when that feeling of I have no hope. I am in despair. You shattered because you don't see yourself functioning no more. You don't see yourself as working or just as a whole anymore. Right. You've literally broken off into multiple different pieces that might be pulled in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be dealing with financial issues, mental issues, like your family. These are all different things that help shatter your glass. And if you, if you just don't have no hope anymore, it's hard to pull that back. Hope is the glue. So, you have to have the hope and once the hope is lost that's that's where it's con- that's like that's far gone so let me ask you this if we understand that hope is the glue that can we use to put the pieces back together once we've lost the hope is there a process or is there something that we can do in order to regain that hope so that we can continue to try to put something together regaining hope is like <laughs> like to put it on a personal level or is like as a something that uh, someone has to do, mm-hmm. it seems almost impossible because like I see it in this motion picture, right? Okay. When you lose hope, it's like you're walking in a cave. There's no light. You have no flashlight. You lost everything. Your little, your last little match, dark. you know, it's gone. It's just real it's, dark. It's just real dark and you're wandering. Mm-hmm. And you're wandering, you're just moving. And if you've seen like, so for all my little nerds out there, you know in Pokemon, when you go into the, you go to the, uh, <laughs> listen, Not bring I will bring Pokemon. When you go into Pokemon, you're playing Pokemon, you go in the cave, right? It's too dark. 
and you have to, it's like you're just wandering, you bump into stuff. You literally only have a circle around you that you can move and you can see. And you're kind of just wandering around in the cave trying to find an exit. It's a maze. Okay. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't play Pokemon, so I need you to break uh, okay, it down yes, for yes, me. All right. So yeah, you have to go through the cave and then the cave is usually a maze. And when it's dark, you can only see like your steps. Like you can see where you are. It's a mm. little circle where you can only see your little character. Okay. To be able to like get over that, mm-hmm. one of your Pokemon on your team has to be able to have a move called Flash. Uh, that's a move called Flash. It's a move. Like it's, okay, it's a like a move of yeah, power yeah. that a Pokemon has called Flash. Okay. Once you teach your Pokemon Flash, the cave opens up. Mm. You can see. Mm-hmm. So when I'm thinking of finding hope, when you're by yourself, you're just wandering. And all you can see is yourself in darkness. Right. Until someone on your team comes in and steps in, mm-hmm. like that, they have that flash for you. I love that you brought that up, but the question that I have from that is going to lead us into an entirely new <laughs> conversation. So I'm gonna hold on to that question for another day. It's gonna come, but thank you for sharing that. Listen, Pokemon is deep. <laughs> Pokemon is deep. It changed lives. Shout out to the '90s babies. Okay, okay. So we know that we can regain hope, and we know that hope is the glue. But in order to be able to put things back together, we have to know how to really use the glue. How do we mm-hmm. put things back together? So what does repairing look like? The first of, of repairing is like you have to see what's broken. Exactly. You have to be able to identify like, one, I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. This is, no, no, no. Even before the hurting, this is not normal. Yeah. This is not normal. normal. I, so often we we normalize trauma, we normalize pain that we don't think that we deserve to be outside of that realm and outside of that that emotion, that space. And it, is it even a deserve? It's just, is this, is something else? What do you mean? Like, so when you, when the idea of normalizing trauma or normalizing dysfunction, mm-hmm. this is my norm. Right. So it's not that I don't feel I don't deserve something. This is what oh, I deserve. I get what you're saying because this is this is all I know. No, I don't, this I don't is what I know. That there's something yeah. more out there. And even when I see something different. That don't make that's, that's weird. That's for them. That's weird. That's foreign because that's this is what my people, everyone I know, this is our norm. This is mm. my functioning. Mm. <laughs> so it's like that's that's mm. you have to be able to see that the way that you're moving is an issue. Yeah. Okay. Oof. Okay. So we identify the issue. We identify that we are hurting. But in order for us to be able to move forward, we have to let go of some things. Mm-hmm. And I think that that also kind of ties into our business philosophy. You know, okay. So my mom's a psychologist. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Shannon Wright Johnson. And I was talking to her about everything we we're wanting to do within raising royalty. And I love my mom because she's she says this so much more eloquently than I ever could. But ultimately what she was getting at was as our guardians pour into us. They are giving us tools that we can place in our toolbox. You know, with some maybe hammers, we have a wrench, we have screwdrivers. We have different tools that we're able to use in different situations. And whoever we are learning from, they teach us how to use those tools for those certain situations. And as we age, as we get out on our own and we're experimenting and experiencing new things, we're reaching in our toolbox because mm-hmm. that's what we learned how to use them from our toolbox. And when we get to situations that are unfamiliar, we try to go searching in our toolbox and we realize like, oh, like I either don't have a tool that fits the situation or I don't know how to use my tool in Mm -hmm. this situation. We wing it. Yeah. And it's a matter of trial and error. And then sometimes we just, we get stuck and we get complacent even Mm -hmm. because we aren't familiar with the situation that's been brought to us because... We don't have the tools. And in the process of repairing, we have to learn how to let go of the tools that don't work and be able to pick up tools that that will. No, the new tools, you have to be able to say, all right, bet. I like this will work for me. Right. Like, you know, I've been trying to use a wrench. <laughs> I need I need a hammer. Right. Like you need to be able to like trade in and out. And right. even those tools that don't work in that situation, they don't go away. Right. Like you might have a replacement, you might have an upgrade, but they don't go away. So there will be out of habit that you reach back and you grab that same tool. Mm-hmm. 
and you got to build new habits. You have to build new habits and you have to unlearn healthy ones. Right. I, I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of the entire process. Because mm-hmm. there's one thing for me to be like, okay, I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is hurting me. Like, we've been trying to eat healthier, right? Trying. Trying. Right. Trying. Emphasis on trying. I like bacon. <laughs> and we understand that in order for us to eat healthier, we have to walk away from fried foods we have to walk Mm -hmm. away from i don't know what else is unhealthy the first thing i think of is fried foods foods (laughs) we need to eat more vegetables right they fry vegetables (laughs) (laughs) i don't eat it but fried okra is a vegetable we they do but that's not don't listen to him i like my tool anywho so we know that we need to walk away from fried food and we need to walk towards more vegetables right we have that understanding, but the actual execution, mm-hmm. the implementation, the everyday practice, that's the hardest part. So That consistency is... Mm, it's not always there. Yeah. It's not always there. So what is an unhealthy habit you learned as a child and what is something that you're doing as an adult to try to unlearn or build a new healthy habit? An unhealthy habit. I, The first thing I think of is probably communication. I struggle with just being able to vocalize my thoughts, my emotions. Growing up, I, I've i seen a lot of arguments and I knew that I didn't want to argue. So mm-hmm. as a result, I kept quiet and I was like, if I address certain issues, it's going to turn into an argument because that's what I've seen. So I just didn't address stuff and it caused even more tension because, you know, that that anger yeah. and, and such builds up within you. But not only that, when people brought stuff to me, I was like, hey, this is bothering me. I don't like it when you do this or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. I also didn't know how to have that conversation without it turning into an argument. argument. Yeah. So again, I would just, I wouldn't say anything. I just like, okay, and just kind of keep it moving. So I think I probably started in college. I feel like I went to one extreme and was like, overcompensating and I was like just sharing way too like much everybody finna hear me yeah everybody. <laughs> and I was like okay I don't like everyone knowing everything about me so then I, I'm right now I'm in the process of trying to scale back so I can have that happy medium between like I'm vocal in in my thoughts my ideas my emotions and and what's going on with me but I'm not sharing everything to the point where you can literally read me like a mm-hmm. book what about you probably my relationship with money Growing up, we didn't grow up poor. We were like lower middle class. Um, my parents worked very hard to make sure you know all the bills were paid. Um, that we have food on the table. Uh, we had a we have a great support system around us. But times got rough, right? In general, and I it's just remembering that, like out of a want, like my parents would get stuff, they would buy stuff. Um, that's what be other people would probably consider quote unquote outside of our realm of living or means of living but it's just that feeling of like i don't know i want it i have the money right now to do it to be able to get it so let me get it and i may not have it later so let me get it now exactly so it's so as an adult um especially when i got to college and when i started getting like started working and getting comfortable with having my own money and like having my own income i initially did that same thing was like i have money now so let me buy all these clothes let me go get this tattoo let me go buy a new phone buying just like getting stuff because like i have it now what if i wait and i don't have it later but i still want it right so it's like as an adult you're also kind of trying to make up to that kid who wanted certain things yeah and you couldn't get it this <laughs> so you like you're trying to be like all right bet you know you might want to have the the newest playstation so you couldn't get it then but bet i bet i get it now so like as an adult I'm just trying, I'm learning that it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Like that same thing that I want is still going to be there. Mm-hmm. The tattoo that I want to get is still a tattoo artist is still going to be available to get be like to do it. <laughs> um, and it's just the timing of it. Like I have to realize like, all right, but first let me, let me think about rent pay. Cool. Car insurance, do it this day. You know, just allocating the money that's where it's supposed to be. You know, groceries, make sure I pay for all of that and just taking my time with my money and taking my time when it's coming in, going out. And I might buy one or two things that I like, just like, bet, 
I waited a month. I ain't buy. I ain't go shopping or whatever for a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let me go buy a pair of shoes or something. Mm-hmm. And it's just trying to be okay with not instant gratification of, oh, I have money now. Let me buy something. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because I, I be wanting nice stuff. Like right. <laughs> you be wanting yeah. to like to just feel good and like have have the stuff, but it's something that you you have to have. I'm trying to have a healthy relationship with money, right? Um, spending and have it coming in. Um, it's definitely a a twofold thing. One, you mm-hmm. have to be aware, like we talked about before, yeah. that, that whole identifying. But once you are aware of your unhealthy habit and the healthy habit that you are now trying to implement. That's where that discipline comes in. Yeah. And I, again, got a shout out my mom. Had a conversation with her because at times I can come off as being aggressive, like vocally, mm-hmm. but that's not always my intent. You know, I'm, I'm very sarcastic and I don't always hear the way my voice is coming off. That might be coming from what I said before about hearing arguments. Yeah. That you learn how to speak or communicate right. from what you heard. Right. So within that, it's she's she told me like okay it's one thing for you to be aware but you can't consistently have to remind yourself like okay i need to be aware of my tone mm-hmm. i need to be a little bit softer or i need to really think about what i'm saying before i say it because i don't want to come across as too sharp when that's not my intent yeah so i, de- I had to learn that yeah people just said i i was, I was rough like <laughs> like just speaking in general and my family in general is full of very strong-minded strong-willed people strong-willed men and women who are going to say if you have them messed up or if they're going they're going to confront they're going to speak and with that that's the energy i grew up around so like even as a kid like i might have that spoke up a lot growing up but once i got into my adulthood and like started being in my own spaces i had that same energy like you're going to i'm going to say whatever is on my mind i'm going to talk and my mom called me an a-hole because she was just like, you got to, you, it's, it's the delivery of it. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that I was wrong in what I was saying or that my feelings were invalid. It's just, I had to be able to realize that people, my mom said, you can't be responsible for how someone feels, but you can be responsible for how you like portray yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been trying to constantly remind myself and constantly like, all right, you know, you, you got a sharp tongue. Take your time. Don't just say, think, is this the moment? Right. Like, just think and kind of live in that and know what your strengths, what your weaknesses, and kind of how to mold from that. Mm-hmm. And that's, I feel like that's a really big part of just becoming fixed or like working on becoming a functional adult. I was just thinking about and that. And then going just like, or I guess repairing these different things or unhealthy things that we, we've, felt in life mm-hmm. going back to what we were saying with the awareness and the discipline mm-hmm. and what you just brought up being fixed versus being functional when i think of being fixed i think of the pieces are put together you know it appears to be a whole entity mm-hmm. and when you try to put it in use it could potentially work it could not just depending on how well you fixed it and with the awareness portion of healing and unlearning and and relearning. Mm -hmm. I feel awareness is kind of within that fixed realm, right? But implementing the discipline and the consistency, that is what fits more so within the functional realm because you actively are using that skill and Mm -hmm. that tool on a regular basis for you to function differently than you did before. I definitely believe there's an overlap between the two in regards to like something that is fixed can be functional. But there's also the possibility. And it, well, let me reverse that. Okay. Something that's functional can be fixed. Like it, it can be in the status. Like fix itself, it can be in is a status, right? So it's in a fixed state, that and it just so happens to be, be functional. functional. Okay. So, but everything that's functional is like yes, not necessarily not. fixed. Mm, well, everything that's fixed, fixed isn't functional. functional. There we go. So you might be able to like it might be put together correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be able to hold something. Right. But it might, but whatever is function or however it's functioning, it might not be what it's designed to do. Yes. It could be, it could have now be fixed to do something else to, to complete a different function. But would it truly be functional within that realm? If it, that's not what it was designed for. Is we have to just like looking at designs. Are we fixed or stuck in what is a general design? Like, 
that's it is it goes it's, i feel like it's really <laughs> deep between fixed and we're functional really, <laughs> really but it's just like because the two are very very similar yeah like fixed like you said it has it's about the parts that goes into it right everything being together right yes and functional is the action of it mm-hmm. i'm moving i'm like i can say i'm a fixed adult like i everything could be put there right but am i moving correctly that ooh, that brings me to think about like functionality is subjective yeah right that is so just because you don't think i'm functioning at Mm -hmm. my you know optimum level doesn't mean that i don't think that i am yeah so within that i could be fixed and functional but to whose standards Standards. so you think of a you know if y'all haven't told uh, told, i like analogies and metaphors and stuff you know i used to teach english but it's like you know in the summer ac is always breaking in the summer that's whatever reason ac (laughs) like to break in the summer (laughs) And being in Florida, that's the worst time for an AC to break. Yes. You know, you call your maintenance person, they come out, they fix it, and it blows. It's it's pushing out air, like how it's supposed to. It's, mm-hmm. The AC is supposed to function to push out air. But if I'm using my AC or my house being on, like, 65, and it's only pushing out to, like, 73, I'm not going to be happy because it's not functioning the way I want it to. But if I call him out again, he said, I fixed this already. Mm. And it's doing what it's meant to be doing because it's pushing out the air. Mm-hmm. That's probably why it's harder to repair broken men because it's the the whole concept of who's to whose standard, standard am is, I broken? Yeah. Like, who are you to say that I'm in need of repair? I've been doing this for X amount of years and I've gotten along great. I've had no issues. Why now do I need to change? Mm-hmm. And it takes... And we say this a lot when it comes to our kids. And we like we try to protect them from life touching them. Yeah. But it takes life to touch you in a way that is unexpected for you to be like, oh, something is wrong. Right. Like, I am in a situation that is not only uncomfortable, but uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Nothing am I'm doing or that I have is going to make this work for me. Mm-hmm. And I, until some people are in that place where they're literally risking losing it all. Mm-hmm. They have to get to that point to be able to like, all right, bet I need a flash. <laughs> I need, <Right>. I need <laughs> some, I need something to help me navigate through this because what I have currently is not working. We actually had this conversation with one of our kids yesterday. Yeah, he found himself in a cycle of moving in with his girlfriend at the time, and you know, for whatever reason, things wouldn't work. And when I say moving in, he was moving out of state, out of town to an an, an unfamiliar location to be with someone else and it wasn't working Mm -hmm. right and when we were talking to him he was kind of looking down on himself because he has to move back home he was back in the house with mom and we broke it down to him saying like you can't continue this cycle right everyone's in a rush to reach this level of success but the more that we rush we end up right back where we started Mm -hmm meaning that we're not moving, meaning we are regressing, right? And then within that, we aren't able to reach the level that we're trying to reach. And then once we kind of broke it down to him in that manner, he was able to see like, this isn't good for me. This is not working. And I can't keep doing this. And so and with like his situation, his biggest issue was not necessarily moving in with somebody. His biggest mm-hmm. issue was that he was so fixated on getting success the quickest way possible. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if I, if I equate me being successful with me having a, a steady income coming in, me be able to stand and live outside of my parents' home, and me moving in with this person mm-hmm. is a form of that because I don't live with you no more and, and I have a job, I'm closer to being successful than I was if I'm home. Mm-hmm. So it's like that rushing of wanting to meet that goal that you have, but not mm-hmm. taking the time to really sit in it and like, what should my next steps be? Because mm-hmm. without, when you rush success, something in life is going to slow you down. Mm-hmm. And like you said yesterday, even if you do get to that point of where you feel like you met your level of success, something's not going to happen. It's not going to flow. It's not going to work. It's not going to feel right, right because you are not the person. You don't have the tools to fully function in that space yet. Mm-hmm. Every the part of the reason that success is a process is because every single step 
is either teaching you a lesson, it's building your self-confidence, it's building your work ethic, your Mm -hmm. discipline, so that when you get to the space of success, that you are able to handle it within its full capacity and you are able to excel. And speaking with him and and having him have that realization, that ties into the the building strong children aspect, right? But mind you, He's 21. I was like, he doesn't even consider himself a child exactly, anymore. Exactly. Society doesn't even consider him a child exactly, anymore. Yeah. But back to what we were saying earlier, mentally, mm-hmm. he's still, we're still able to pour into him. And that's why I, I think it's so important to understand the that fine line between childhood and adulthood is real fuzzy. Because I'm 25 and I'm we're still, still looking. <laughs> Listen, whole child, whole still joke. Kids. I just, saw, I just <laughs> talked about Pokemon. So, <laughs> um, and I think a very unutilized tool in the black community is therapy. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know what the stigma is. I don't know what the pushback is, but there is a, a pushback when it comes to therapy. Actually, I'll take the back. I've seen, or I've been explaining to what some pushback was or like different working with different kids or even different people, like young adults who went to therapy and one having a therapist that doesn't look like them, who can't relate to them, who doesn't, feel or truly understand their stories or their struggles Mm -hmm. that is discouraging to go back or like why would i why why continue to bear my all to this stranger right when i'm not getting whatever you're telling me i'm supposed to be getting out of this right so it's like but therapy once you find it's like a relationship you know you got to find your right therapist you got to find you know right setting that's comfortable for you you have to understand what you are trying to get out of this experience and what your expectations are for this experience to really be able to get something out of it um, and really like help begin. Because therapy doesn't give you all the answers. Mm-hmm. Therapy doesn't like fix you. It's more of like a map that helps yeah. to guide you. But you you are still directing yourself within the trail, I guess mm-hmm. you can say. And so I went to therapy once. It was literally recently, like two years ago. And I was so nervous sitting in this lady's office. I was sitting on the couch, shaking my leg. You know, she has she she had little fiddle toys. I was sitting there playing with certain different things. And I'm just like, oh, what's she finna ask me? What's she finna tell me? What's she finna say? What, she, like, how deep am I supposed to be getting? I don't feel like being emotional today. Like, it's just, and she was a white woman. So it's just like, I that initial like barrier of like are you gonna relate to what I'm saying like is mm-hmm. what I'm going what I'm saying going to make sense is it going to be legitimized mm-hmm. or like are you just gonna brush it off because oh you're just 25 or you're just 20 whatever you know that's what's supposed to be happening this age right but I can say leaving there if I didn't get anything else it was a pretty decent experience but she dropped a nugget on me which I continuously use on a regular basis she told me that feelings are not facts. Correct. So just because, because I'll tell her like certain times I'll feel inadequate or I'll feel weak or I feel da da da. And she will say like, do you know, even in your moments of weakness, that's not, that doesn't negate your strength. Mm-hmm. So just because you feel a certain way in this space does not negate what the fact of the situation is. Like I might feel like I'm not doing this right. Or, you know, there's, I'm just off in this space. But the fact of it is, you know, I have X, Y, and Z coming in. You know, you're you're working in certain spaces. There's people in your same age group, in your same circle, who are not even moving nowhere near you and effectively. Mm-hmm. So it's just like you have to look at what are the legitimate facts of what's your your space and not be fully governed about how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I had a coworker when I was working at the high school in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. and a couple of the students started fighting. And, you know, we kind of broke it up and he took more of the aggressor and took him to go play chess or checkers. Mm-hmm. Kids don't know how to play chess nowadays. They, <laughs> they was playing checkers. And I was talking to him and he was like, emotion and logic play on two different parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. You can't use them at the same time. The whole like heart versus head situation. Yeah. You can't use them at the same time. And that's kind of what she was tapping into when mm-hmm. she was talking to you. So within that, in order to learn that skill and and be able to use your tools, do you feel as though it should be a norm for all kids to go to therapy? Yes. But within that, because again, with us, our studies that we've done, culture is not taken into therapy 
or mm-hmm. when you're teaching the traditional like psychology, you're teaching traditional things, culture differences are not taken into account. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, yes, there should be a space where black youth, brown youth should have a space or just in general, marginalized youth have a space to go through therapy. But it has to be very specific. It has to be very tailored because it's not the traditional. It's not it's not going to be successful right. if it's not if it doesn't fit or like form help form for that kid. Because we know working with kids, if they don't trust you, they don't like you. If they it take a little thing about you that they immediately won't trust you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not dealing with you. I'm not going to talk. I don't care if my mama spent $300 for this hour. I would not speak to you. <laughs> like, it was It was just, that's just how kids are. And so it's just like, yes, if kids had the ability to go to therapy or some type of counseling, that would be amazing. It just has to be the right kind. Mm-hmm. And it has to play that right role, I guess. Right. In that li- their life. So that brings me to another question. If y'all haven't picked up, I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> he tends to be the one to answer them and then we kind of go See, from that's there. Business. Like, this is this <laughs> how it works. Um, okay, so when I think of therapy, I think of therapy as something that could potentially be in your toolbox, mm-hmm. right? But it's a tool that can help you to identify and then ultimately break generational curses and cycles. So when you think about having your own children we first have to unlearn stuff so that we don't pass along those unhealthy mm-hmm. habits. We talked about something before that we don't want, we are working on ourselves, but what's something else that you think of, whether it be culturally or within your family, that you're wanting to make sure that you unlearn before passing it on to your kids? First, before I touch that, I want to touch on something because you were saying that therapy is a tool. Mm-hmm. I feel like therapy is like a lesson or like a class that teaches you how to use different tools. And they might even you know introduce different tools but I feel like it's one of the class classes that teaches you how to navigate through your toolbox. Because some people might go to therapy. Some people might use the church. Like, there's different buildings or structures or institutions that provide lessons, I guess, or, like, manuals on how to use different tools. It might even introduce different tools to your toolbox. I don't see that that way. I don't see it as a manual. Because when I think of a manual... A manual is written by the manufacturer, manufacturer, <laughs> <Words>. the maker <laughs> of said product, mm-hmm. right? And the therapist or whomever you're talking to, whether it be church, that, those institutions did not create the tools that are in your toolbox. So they can't write the manual for you. So manual might be the wrong space. That's why originally I said like a class. Because, like, if you go to a class for certain things, like, if you go to a class to learn how to play piano, mm-hmm. the teacher, the person who's there, they know you, you know, you have your own piano, you have your own thing, might probably at home where you go and you practice, right. you have your own instrument, and I'm going to teach you these different skills using this instrument that you already have. So, like, I feel like there's different class, like, you know, just you go to your gun class, or you go to, like, you go to different class to learn how to use different instruments, tools, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's different spaces that provide that same thing in regards to this ideology that we're using as a toolbox and i feel like therapy is one of those because like you said they're not they didn't create anything like therapists didn't create what you have in your toolbox right but they've been taught what different tools might do and what how people might use different tools and they might have learned how to use different tools in different situations so they're like just teaching or they're helping instruct how to use these different spaces or how to use these different tools. Mm, I still disagree. (laughs) Because, okay, let's take culture, for example, Mm -hmm. right? If I know how I'm using my tools and like like you just said, I'm trying to trade my wrench for a hammer, Mm -hmm. right? But you're telling me that the hammer works it's, it doesn't, the hammer and the wrench can be used the same way, right? Mm-hmm. So I need to stick with my wrench or I need to change to a drill. Y'all, I don't use tools. I'm running out of, <laughs> I'm running out of tools. So when I, when I think of a therapist, I think of them, I think of that in itself being a tool because within that, they're giving you tools to use and they're giving you different strategies to be able to use your tools because some tools you have to use together. 
So I don't see it as necessarily a class because, again, within therapy or even within church, I'm still guiding myself or I'm walking alongside this higher power to learn how to use these tools. But isn't that class in general? Like if you, even in a school, you go in to be taught these different skills. But when you leave that building, you leave that classroom, it's still up to you to use them. I, I agree with that aspect. I still don't know if I see it as a class. But I still want you to answer my question. <laughs> the, um, the children, the babies. Yes, so the youngins. I am 25, right? And I've been saying for as long as I can remember that one of the things I'm most excited about is becoming a dad. I love that aspect. I'm extremely excited and like, I want to be a dad. Like, I can't wait to be able to be in that space to where I can be a father and I can like kind of really pour into like a younger, ver- like a little, not even a little me. I don't even want a little me. A little human who's going to grow up and like leave their own footprint on the world. Mm-hmm. And I read way too much about parenting. Um, <laughs> I read a lot about just different things. And something that I've been catching up a lot is about emotional intelligence yes. with young kids and teaching them emotional intelligence. So like using like words of affirmations and like just framing of different conversations when you have with kids. And that is something that, well, you know, in the black community, you have your little phrases, you know, I ain't your little friend. I'm not going to be my kid's friend, but it's like, I ain't your little friend or like that. There's certain things that like in the black community that have been used so often and black kids are not given the same space to be emotional or like kind of live in their emotion and figure out you are told, you know, you're doing too much, you bad, like you're acting up, stuff like that. I want to teach my kids how to be emotionally intelligent. So if you're upset, I want to sit down and, and have a conversation and help identify why you're upset. What are you actually feeling? Are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Are you sad? Are you angry? Like, I want to be able to I, help my kids identify and literally be emotionally intelligent as young, like as early as possible. So they don't aren't emotionally stunted adults. Mm-hmm. You brought up a good point. So while you were talking about that, I was thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And shout out to class. <laughs> <laughs> the foundation is, you know, physiological. Am I able to breathe? Am I hot? Am I cold? Mm. Do I feel okay? And then from there, we move into like safety concerns. Do I feel secure? Do, mm-hmm. do I have everything that I am needing mm-hmm. in order to be able to move efficiently? And then from there, I have to be able to connect with the group. Do I feel loved? Do I feel like I belong? And then within that love and belonging, that's also where they're able to realize their different emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're learning from others. And then from there, they can begin to learn about themselves. And that goes into the higher levels. And I think what you touched on was really important because part of the reason that a lot of people don't learn about their emotions it's because those bottom levels aren't fully filled out. You know, like I go home when I'm hungry or I'm in class and I can't focus because I'm tired, you know, and we get mad at these mm-hmm. children for acting out and not knowing how to f- truly express their emotions. Mm-hmm. But we didn't acknowledge the fact that they didn't have that foundation in order for them to express themselves freely and safely. And even on the other side, for the kids who are only given that bottom tier. I'm yeah. only giving you... My job as a parent is to make sure I feed you, have you have clothes on you your back, and your a head. roof over your head. That's it. So, like, those parents who are giving the bare minimum to their kids, but are leaving them to, like, wander alone, then now you don't have that belonging, you don't have that love, and you don't know, one, how to accept it. Right. You don't know what it looks like, you don't know what it feels like, and you're left to the world as a child to learn what those things feel. Which is why we have babies out here, you know, thinking someone texting them three times a day or going to sleep on FaceTime is falling in love with somebody. I tell my kids all the time, one of my kids, he's like, I want to be, I want a girlfriend, da 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 I tell my time, bro, the only reason you want a girlfriend is because you want to align with these um, Instagram couples that y'all see all the time. Like, you want that feeling, that image, that, like, you love seeing their pictures, you look, oh, they're so happy, da-da-da, and you want that. Mm-hmm. But, you're 17. What depth of a relationship are you, like, what's that look like? It could also be because they're not getting that sense of love and belonging from home. But again, 
conversation for another day. See, he's been thinking about him having kids for as long as long as long as I've as I've known him, if not longer. I want a baby. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. (laughs) I know that I want kids, but I don't think about it because I understand as a parent the responsibility. Mm of like every decision that I make, even the decisions that I don't make are going to ultimately impact my children. And just being in the profession that we're in, a lot of times we work with broken children. And I would just hate to have learned everything that I've learned and then create a oh, broken child. Bro- kids with little chips in the <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I think for me, it's because of the work that we've we've done, and I've been able to kind of see the impact we've had. And like we get kids at the ages of like fourteen to eighteen, like we get kids kind of late in their like adolescence. We, even within that, we're able to do stuff. And I've always said, "Oh, I just wish at four or five someone just did this." And I want to be able to like kind of create that legacy of my own and make sure like. And because I know how big of a responsibility parenting is, it's why I try to learn about it so much now and try to, to like, just think about what type of parent I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to make sure I unlearn? Unlearn. Before I bring <laughs> life into the world. Because, baby, <laughs> too many generation cra- uh, curses and, and cycles that needs to be broken around here because you got babies having babies. Right. So we ask you, the audience, as we as you know, we struggle with we we play with a question every episode. Mm-hmm. This episode, your question is the one that we asked earlier. What unhealthy habit did you learn as a child, and what are you doing now as an adult to unlearn that habit? I have another question. You heard us going back and forth. So, is therapy in church? <laughs> is it a tool within your toolbox, or is it a class, class. that you go to in order to learn how to use the tools in your toolbox? I want to hear that. That's, That's what I well, want to know. Yeah. So make sure you comment, you know, doing the comments, Instagram comments, you know, you can even DM us. We definitely want to hear. Something. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. We want, because we want to learn and still, you know, we want to learn from y'all. We might have some, some elders, some, with some wisdoms out there. You want to mm-hmm. drop some nuggets? Let us know. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow us, join us in everything that we're doing. You know, episode two, we're working still, like we said the first time. Thank you so much for joining us today and for everything that just supporting us through this new endeavor. If you want us to come out as a guest speaker or in touch to some of your kids, help you with programming, we have all the information below attached to this video and on our pages, how you can contact us and reach out so we can make these things shake. Looking forward to hearing from you and talking to you because you're great. And I love you already. Don't know you, but we love you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a great episode. Make sure you tune in to our next episode of Higher Unlearning. With all that being said, are all hearts and minds clear? Any questions, comments, concerns? All right. Check back in in a few weeks for episode three. Peace. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty.